happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. After a weekend off, the UFC is back, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to give you my official prediction for tomorrow's main event between Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland. Plus, I'll tell you why George Mosdall is doing it right. Daniel Cormier is wrong, and I'll also try to figure out what Francis Ngannou's plan is. But before we get to all that, let's begin with a story that has people all over the world fired up. Joe Rogan, Spotify, continues. Now, it should be over. It should be over because Joe has cleared things up. Many people are calling it an apology. Apology might be the correct word. Let's back up just to recent memory. Neil Young came out. He's upset with Joe for putting out misinformation as it pertains to the coronavirus. Wants his music taken off or wants Spotify, moreover, to take Joe down. We both can't be here. I won't share a platform with this guy. Spotify did the right thing. And that's not really a tough call. It's truly not. I don't know that Joe is bigger than Neil Young. I've heard many people say that and that's why Spotify did that. I don't know about that. I don't believe in 20 years people are going to be listening to the Joe Rogan experience from today. 20 years from now, they will still be listening to Neil Young. So I don't know that I agree with those numbers. But personally, and in all fa- and I'm on Spotify, guys. You can get me on Spotify. You can get Neil Young on Spotify. You did not get Spotify for me. You did not get Spotify for Neil Young. Do you see the difference? Rogan is the only hired talent in that position, and many people came over for him. It would not have been right to have taken their money and then take that away from them. I don't know that that was Spotify's decision. I'm updating you in the last week and bringing conclusion to it because that's the way they went. They pulled Neil Young, they left Joe. Joe thought it was important to come out, clarify. Many call it an apology. For some reason, I'm resistant of the word apology, but Joe wanted to clear this. And he did say the word sorry. So apology is appropriate. But I felt like it was an explanation because Joe said, and I'm going to change the words just a little bit. I'm going to change the words just a little bit based on interpretation, but real close to verbatim, Joe said, I never brought you fake news. I don't bring you any news. My show is not a news show. I have a conversation. That's my show. I try to learn things. I let people say their side. I share my side. They say what they've heard. I say what I heard. We go back and forth. The time runs out. We put it out to the audience. It's a conversation. Joe used the word in this apology slash explanation three times. He used the word conversation, but I want you guys to hear it 300 times because it was the entire point Joe was trying to make. And Joe made it very effectively, which is I'm having a conversation. I am not determining anything. I am not an expert in the space. Whatever opinions and or conclusions I come to, I don't even share. I just have a conversation. That's important that you take that away because if you're still mad at Joe Rogan, that's the part you missed. It was a grand slam. In the world of PR and kind of straightening something out, fixing misgivings, this this was a grand slam by Joe. This was not a pre-read statement. This was Joe on his own cell phone speaking openly and freely a little bit surprised, a little bit surprised with some of the pushback. And I think it hurt Joe's feelings just a little bit because he personally is a Neil Young fan. And he wanted Neil and everyone to know, I hear what you're saying, but please hear what I'm saying, which is why I am repeating it for you because I do think a lot of people missed it. 
Joe said the word conversation. He said it three times and he got up and walked away. I wish he would have stayed on it to let people know what he means by that. What Joe is trying to say is my, my show is not to get you information. My show is not to encourage you in either or any direction. I'm just having a conversation. I'm letting you hear my natural and first thoughts and responses. I'm letting you hear the natural and responses of the agenda of my guest. But I'm not a news show. I'm a conversation. It's a big deal that you understand what Joe's saying. Now, great. I thought Joe hit a grand slam. I thought it was perfect. The problem that Joe has, Joe's a very smart guy, but I don't know. I, I don't know if Joe knows this has nothing to do with the pandemic. If Joe had never said the word coronavirus or he swore in a stack of Bibles to never say it moving forward, Joe's going to be in the same spot. One has nothing to do with the other. The pushback on Joe Rogan and the current pandemic are not related. They're pretending it's related. Joe's numbers are massive. Joe can reach 11 million people in one day. To put that in perspective for you, CNN on a good and average night is 1.4 million. All of the cable shows combined come in at 9.8 million. All of them combined are a million two lower than Joe Rogan. That's what Joe's problem is. Joe has power. It did turn political. One side has claimed him as their own. They're wrong. He's not with them. And one side is fighting against Joe. They're wrong too. Joe's not against, he's not with these guys and he's not for those. That's Joe's business, right? That's Joe's, but people that know Joe personally were looking around going, you guys are wrong and you guys are wrong. It's one of those things. But either way, he said in the primary, he was supporting Bernie Sanders. He said in the, in the general, he would vote for Trump over Biden. I'm quoting Joe here. That's the problem. It was never COVID-19. It was never the pandemic. That was the problem. And that drew lines in the sand. They've been coming for him ever since. I hope that Joe knows that. I suspect that Joe knows that. But I also want you guys to know that. Because they are picking on one of our own. And one of our own has come out. He didn't ask for help, but he told his side. Just, I like these guys. I like my audience. I like to satisfy them. Just having a conversation. To me, that's reasonable. So the last time Joe Rogan called a fight, it was for UFC 270, Engano versus Gone. And the situation going on with Engano is fascinating. And I got to give you my latest thoughts on his future. All right, let's see if we can figure this out together. And it's going to be guesses. <clears throat> Unless you have some real inside knowledge that you can leave in the comment section, we're all going to be regulated to guesses. So let's start the conversation. What does Francis Ngannou want? Don't think you're going to be the smart guy in the room that followed the press conferences and watched Francis and Megan talk and follows Francis's manager on social media and then heard what Dana said and recap it for me. I can do that. What does Francis really want? Just like we talked about with Joe Rogan, I don't want to hear that people are mad at him because of his stance on COVID-19. That's not why they're mad at him. That's what they're using. I want to know what Francis really wants. So don't tell me he really wants to box. Francis can box today, just to put an end to that argument, today. The Olympic Games finished one year ago. There was a process, and Francis could have gone and represented his country or attempted to if he wanted. He can box today. Does Francis want to go on and be a movie star? I don't know. 
Does Francis want to go on to be a coach and a trainer? Does he want to be a martyr? I'm asking the questions. All the martyrs end up the same way, which is dead. So even if you want to do that with your career, I'm asking, what does he really want? And I've seen this from day one, and so have you guys. And in all fairness, not only have we seen it, most of us have probably even done it at one point where we did not want to go do something. So now it's about saving face. I need to find an excuse to not do it that my peers will accept. And I really hit the home run if I find one that my peers accept, which stop me from doing something, and I can come out looking good. Very hard in life to chicken out from anything and not look like a chicken, but instead actually look with bravado. So what is it? Guys used to do this, and it's a very old move. But guys used to do this back in the pride days. I could name three or four of them for you. Right off the top of my head, quasi-friends of mine. But they would do what's called pricing themselves out. I will fight Hicks and Gracie for a million dollars when the highest pay at that time that had ever been given was a tenth of that. By example, you probably know the guys that have done that. My buddy Joel, you guys remember Joel? Wanted to fight and was actively pursuing a fight with Kimbo Slice, rest his soul. But he was going to need $5 million to do it. Now, you know guys like that. They mean it. No, I really will do I will fight Mike Tyson for $10 million. Like, they really mean it. But what they're really saying, I don't want to do it. I will. I could be talked to. I don't want to do it. How do I get out of this? And that's just people in conversation. So now imagine somebody that's no longer in conversation. They're in the spotlight, and they have the actual offer. Do you see how much tougher it gets? How much tougher it gets to get out of something? All of us know a guy that said that, by the way. Literally that statement. I would fight Mike Tyson for $10 million. We all know somebody who has said that. Why would the guy say that? Nobody was going to offer him Mike Tyson. He could have said, I'll walk outside and fight Mike Tyson for free. He has just as much chance of actually fighting Mike Tyson to do it for free as he did for the $10 million. And he could have looked cool for the boys around the water cooler. But he didn't say it. He said for $10 million. And he meant it. Like a genie was going to pop out of a bottle or Bob Aaron was going to come to him and with Don King on his side and, and try to sign the guy. Like he was being serious. Here's my number. Here's what I'll do. Which is code talk for I don't want to do it. We all get that. We get that, but we don't generally see it at this level. And when we do see it in this sport, we can spot it instantly. You now have a guy who is in a fantastic position. Francis looks the way I've always wanted to look, and he's accomplished what I always wanted to accomplish. I mean, I don't have any way around. i got to look up to this guy. I have to. It's the laws of the land. This guy's done it, so he's in a very unique position. Do anything to get a world title fight. He is guaranteed one because he's bringing the, the damn championship with him. He is guaranteed a world title fight. He is guaranteed a main event. He is guaranteed to be on pay-per-view. He is guaranteed to be in an arena of 10 to 14,000 screaming people. I mean, this is a fantastic spot, and he's still, there's something, he doesn't want to do it. And pressure's a son of a bitch, guys. A lot of people don't want to succeed. It's subconscious for most of them, but they do not want success because of the pressures that come along with it. And when I'm asking you to hedge your bets and take a guess, what is this really about? I, we don't know. But if there's any reason to not go fight, we now know I, I don't want to fight. The question becomes, well, how did we get there with a guy whose whole life has been such a struggle and he did so well, he overcame so much?
And forget about his life stories. Three weeks ago, he's down two rounds to nil, and he came back. This is a guy that shows all the signs that not only does he want to do it, he's damn good at doing it. So what's this really about? And please don't tell me boxing. I just ask you not to tell me that only because you're going to be jammed up in the example that I just gave, which is he could have boxed. He could box today. Now, the Olympics were a year ago, but the World Championships are still coming up. He can enter that process. And go, Dana will not interfere. Can't. It's a federal law. You cannot interfere with an athlete's pursuit to Olympic sport. Boxing is Olympic sport. Now, you're going to push back. Chael, come on, that's silly. He doesn't want to go uh, uh, box for free. He wants to go fight Tyson for $100 million. Okay, great. I'm just asking that you don't tell me boxing. Now you've told me something different. It's about money. That gets met in the face with the argument of martyr status. Somebody who's willing to be a martyr is putting principles in front of everything else. But now you've just told me, after I succeeded in, in proving it's not about boxing, you've now told me it's about money. It can't be about money and principles. Those are counter to each other. So what is this about? What's it about? A chance to be a world champion in boxing. Look, it's got the same process, guys. The number one question that I ever get asked, how do you get in the UFC? I get asked that all the time. And there's not a competitive architecture in place, right? If you were to ask me how to win the Super Bowl, I could tell you very simply. I could tell you what you would need to cover the clearinghouse for college status. I would need to tell you how, how far you have to be within your degree to enter the draft. I could then explain the playoff process to you and whether if I had to start at the very beginning. Explain four quarters, bracketed event known as the playoffs, more points than the other guys. When time runs out, you move to the next. I could, I could explain very easily how you win a Super Bowl. When you ask me about the UFC, because there's not a competitive architecture, I can still answer the question the same as everybody else can, which is go out and get some fights. Start with your amateur career. Back up from that. Go join a gym. Back up from that. Go buy the equipment. Your gloves and your mouthpiece. I mean, there, there's things that you can do. Get your name out there. Build your social media. I mean, I could go through it and I would be right. But if you were to do all of them, you are not guaranteed to be within the UFC. I can guarantee you how you win a Super Bowl. So it's a very different and unique sport. It's very, very different what it takes. In the world of boxing, if that's what you want to do, if that, man, I just, it's box or bust. Well, I don't want to do the Olympics. Okay, the biggest and most respected boxing event in the world is above you, but you really, you want us to think that you want, well, I don't want to do that. I want to box this guy. Okay, so you just want to fight Tyson Fury or whoever it is. I'm very open here, guys. I'm not passing judgment. But you now can't tell me it's about boxing when he's legally cleared to go box. He was legally cleared to attempt the Olympic Games, which every boxer will tell you is the number one event they respect the most because it has a competitive architecture. Is it, is it just about who's most popular like the pros are? So, okay, we've established it's about money, period. How much? That answer can't just be more. How are we getting here? Because the people that are meeting you with resistance are and are willing to walk away from this whole thing will come in very well armed. And it's not well armed with negotiating skills. They will come in very well armed with data. They know exactly what the watch time is. They know every all the way down to commercials. They will actually check the ratings of commercials. They have every 
source that you could do. They will go to Joe Hand and check pre-buys on commercial. They will have an absolute feel. They will check ticket sales at an arena and juxtapose that against other alike events, meaning heavyweight title fights, and see who sold out faster. They, they have all sorts of data to know what a person's worth. And it's a huge gamble. I've never, there could be something more, but I haven't ever seen or been part of a business with greater risk. This is a bet. So you got to be very careful doing it, which is why the champions and only the champions are giving something known as participation due to the night of business without having to buy in. That is generous beyond belief. There's no other company that I'm aware of that works that way. So he's in this very beautiful position. He's in a position unlike anybody other to make more money than anyone else. Even though there's going to be 10 other fights, 21 other athletes all on the same car doing the exact same thing. But they didn't do it in highest placement of the spot. They didn't do it in championship matches. They didn't do it as heavyweight. And they didn't do it as champion. So it makes a lot of sense why he's going to make more than everybody else. Is that fair? But that's the word that we were just reflecting on more. It is more. It's more than everybody else. It's more than you made last time. But the more doesn't cap. It's infinite. The more people you bring in, the more people who care, the bigger the... It seems like a perfect world to me. It seems to make all the sense. It's really not my business. I'm just curious. But we do have to stop this. I don't want to hear that Rogan is being attacked because of COVID-19. And I don't want to hear that Francis isn't going to fight because uh, he wants to buy. Stop doing that. What's this really about? If this is a cash grab to cash grab to price yourself out of the market because you want to retire and you just don't know how, we can help with that, right? Who's he think he's letting down? Us? Have we been that awful to him? Have we not as a community done a good job of coming together and say, you're awesome. You did awesome. You walk away anytime you want. You owe us nothing. Have we not done that? I know plenty of guys in my life who didn't want to get into something like that. I know a guy who I like who on fight day pulled a fire alarm in a venue to get out. I know another guy who called in a bomb threat to a venue to get out. Fight or flight is very real. And when a guy's had enough, a guy has had enough. But if he finds any reason to say, I don't want to go do something, we need to listen and not pressure him. Encourage him. Tell him how well he did. And then step the hell out of the way. Let somebody come through who does want to compete. Switching gears to welterweights. George Mosvall and Colby Covington. Guys, that's going to be one of the biggest fights of 2022. I can't wait for it. Especially now, because George Mosvall has begun creating the hype. George Mosvall put out a tweet just now. You can go find it at Gamebred Fighter. Twitter. Very short video, very well produced. I mean, I'm talking like six seconds long. No images, just a digital graphic with Colby Covington's voice. And Colby is doing a past interview. They grab the audio and Colby says, and I quote, the only friend that I have is George Masvidal. Boy, if anybody knew the stuff that we had been through. 
That's it. Fade to black, roll the credits. 100,000 people have seen that. This went up nine minutes ago. 100,000 people have, have seen that now. It had a text attached. In 160 characters or less, which are the rules, Gamebred told the audience more is coming out on this story and he's starting tomorrow. That in the business is what we call a tease. He has teased us. He has teased us basically with blackmail, except he didn't say he wants anything to make it stop. He says it's going to happen for sure, which is what makes it fair game. Now that's a dirty and nasty move, but he got 100,000 people in 10 minutes to watch that. He got me to come over and talk to two people with some window sheen and more people will be following suit. What can Davidson Figueredo, Brandon Moreno, and Francis Ngannou learn from George Masvidal? Well, you have three guys that are complaining they're not getting enough money, and you have one guy who's never said the word money. George Masvidal. George Masvidal is bringing attention to his fight successfully. Do you know what it costs to post something on Twitter? Do you know how cheap and inexpensive that is? You only have 160 characters. If you want to use every damn one of them, you're talking about 15 seconds of your life. In 15 seconds of his life, he is now beginning to tell a story. And not one that we have to wait for. Whatever dirt he's got, he's going to start rolling it out tomorrow. Now, he won't give you everything or the story's gone. He'll give you something and then make you tune in the next day and the next day. It's called promotion. Promotion is one thing. It is storytelling. Francis has an incredible story. He didn't tell it. I've heard the story. I loved it. But he did not tell it. I heard from somebody else. Figueroa and Moreno don't have incredible stories, but they got a story. It's not bad. There's a direction to go. They decided the right idea before their last fight was to tell absolutely nobody that they were fighting, which is one reason they started at main event and they now can't close out a night. They want to go and do that a fourth time and they want a million dollars. Everybody unhappy in their contract, everybody who thinks they should be getting more money and everybody who's talking about money needs to follow the lead of the guy who's not. When's the last interview you saw where Masvidal said he needed more money? How about never? And it's not because all of a sudden Masvidal uh, lives some minimal lifestyle. It's not as though Masvidal is not a prize fighter as well. Masvidal knows how to get the money. I don't get the money from Dana. I get the money from the people to give it to Dana and then I get a trickle that. That's the way that it works. And that makes sense. That makes sense to anybody. You have other guys that are putting their foot down saying, give me more. And if you don't, I'm not doing anything more in the contract. That's, that's no problem. I'm not asking you to. As a matter of fact, when I negotiated this contract, it was based on the fact that you'd be a deadbeat scumbag like the other 556 I have for contract. And I'm ready for that. I'm completely ready for you to do nothing. But you're not going to stick it up my ass. You're going to stick it up yours. Because if you look a little bit lower, there's a clause in there where I'm going to share and let you participate in the good night. Three guys complaining about money, one guy not complaining about money. The one guy not complaining about money is telling a story for his fight. All good promotion is, guys, all promotion is, is storytelling. 
a good promoter is good at telling a story. A big fight is never on paper. It's never, well, this guy won the Olympics and this guy won the Olympics twice. Let's put them together. That Resumes don't go very far. Everybody's mind defaults to the fact that they do. Well, I'm this good. I'm this accomplished. This is what I did. I, I, I was in Abu Dhabi. He didn't qualify. Whatever it is, it just gets really weird. Really, really weird. I'll even see people on the other side of it saying, well, they don't like me. They're not promoting me. What, what, what does that mean? You weren't promoted. What does that mean? You didn't have enough billboards? You didn't have enough countdown shows? You weren't on Fight Pass often enough? The marquee wasn't that. What, what would you like them to do? You have a story. Your story either catches on or it doesn't. Big mega fights have nothing to do with about who's fighting. It has to do with how good the story is. I don't know if boxing is the oldest sport in the world, but it's within the first two. It's either boxing or wrestling. Before bats and balls and fields and courts and all these things were even created, somebody grabs somebody else, which makes wrestling the first sport ever, or somebody punched somebody else, which makes boxing the first sport ever. One of those two, for sure, is the world's oldest sport. The world's oldest sport got surpassed in one night by a guy who had never boxed named Conor McGregor. Taking on a guy who had never lost at boxing called Floyd Mayweather. Not only did they do a huge blockbuster night of business, they sold out four arenas during a press tour where no chance of a punch was being thrown, but fight fans lined up, packed to the rafters to get in. They had a story to tell. You could not match the resume of Conor McGregor, who had never boxed, against Floyd, who had never lost at boxing. But you don't need to match the resumes because the resumes aren't promotion. You'll go through the headlines, you'll read many people complaining about money. You go to George Masvidal's, who you've never heard complain about money, he's not asking for it now. He's promoting by telling a story. Whether this is blackmail or not, wherever this goes, it's being done by the one guy whose name I've mentioned in the last six minutes who is not bitching about money. Staying at 170, the welterweight champ Kamaru Usman recently said something that caught the MMA world's attention a certain 205-pounder did not take kindly to it. Yuri Prohaska just had to weigh in on Kamara Usman. Here's what's going on. Okay, let me let me back this up in case you've been under a rock. Kamara Usman did an interview a week or so ago, and he just made a comment. He just set something down and went on about his day. But that thing that he set down ended up being this this like a carpet bomb. And what he said was, "I tried. I considered, and I tried. I even looked into." going up to 205 pounds and challenging for the world championship. Now, that happened to be Jan Blahovich, but this had nothing to do with Jan. This had everything to do with Usman wanted to be the champ champ. He didn't want anything to do with his countryman, Adesanya, so he was just going to skip Adesanya and go up to 205 pounds. Now, in a million years, Dana White's not saying okay to that. That's not getting the pin. That's not going to happen. And that wasn't what Kamara even meant for it to be. He was just sharing something. He was just sharing from a competitive standpoint. He likes this champ-champ business, and he wants to get as much hardware as he can, too. And he thought a, a way to do it that was realistic was to go up to 205 pounds. But it became an interesting story. And now you have Prohaska commenting on it. So here's my question to you guys. Real simple. Is this a win for Kamara Usman that he's got Prohaska, who is the official number one contender, will be challenging for a world championship, discussing him? That's my question. And of course it is. Doesn't have to be a grand slam. This could be a single. 
But it's still a win for Usman, isn't it? And when Prohaska responded to this, he was very polite, but he was very honest and sincere. I mean, he talked about the size. He talked about the weight. Say, listen, he's not just coming up from one division. He's coming two divisions. We've never seen this. Prohaska was great in his response. It was just, it was very honest. He was caught with his pants down. And I can't blame Yuri. Why the hell would Yuri be prepared going in an interview thinking he's going to have to talk about a 70-pounder, right? So he just answered it really straightforward. He talked about the size. I would like to bring something to you guys. This is never going to happen. I got that. But we're not going to see Usman versus George St. Pierre either, and we discuss it all the time. We're not going to see Khabib versus Usman or George St. Pierre, but we discuss it all the time. So let's have a little bit of fun here. Because there is a couple of things I don't think you know about Kamara Usman. Kamara Usman is not a 70-pounder, just so you understand. He fights at 170. Kamara Usman had dreams of being an Olympic wrestling champion, and he lived that life. He went to the hardest tournaments, took on the best competition, went to the most difficult and trying training camps. He was living that life. It's actually Rashad Evans grabbed a hold of him and said, hey, we, I got another way. Come stay on my couch. We've got a different kind of workout we're going to do, but I, I see something here. I tell you his amateur wrestling story because he did that. I don't think you guys know this. He did that at 185 pounds. Very relevant. Usman post-college has to make a choice of where to go, where to compete, He's not going to get any money or any fame. This is 100% about intrinsic value. He's going to sacrifice everything. It's very important to know the mindset of a wrestler. When you wonder why Kamaru's so good, if you just study his fight career, you're going to miss it. He's real good at fighting because of what he did before fighting. And it's a mindset. It's a grind. You never hear him bitching about money. He came through wrestling. There was no money. You never hear him complaining about doing media and having to work hard. He came through wrestling. There is no media. It just doesn't work that way. It's a different mindset. It's a very pleasant mindset. But I need you to understand the mindset at least a little bit so that you understand how important it is to pick the right number. And he picked 185. Now, at the time Kamara was coming through, his choices were 163 or 185. In fairness, 85, he wasn't the biggest. He wasn't small. He was not what you consider a big 85 pounder, but he had been too damn big to get to 163 pounds. So in fighting, when an opportunity opened up, they spot him seven pounds, at least in wrestling terms. Boom, that's how he became a 70 pounder. And I only say that because you're just, you're not, I mean, if we're going to have this conversation, if we're just going to be silly, but we are going to debate this, I would just have to tell Prohaska, because I don't think he knows that, Kamara Usman actually is not a 70 pounder. He's actually, in his own mind, an 85-pounder who's competing at 70. Now, what's that got to do with about 205 pounds? Probably very little, but it's still something different to the story that you didn't know. If there's anybody you want to study and copy in this sport, not just his skills, not just what, what he can do, the hard work and the sacrifice, you check all those boxes, right? But there's no champion out there that doesn't check those quintessential boxes. If there's anybody that you want to follow in the sport that has a business attached to it, it really is Usman. Usman has the same stand-up for himself, the same pushback to the organization, the same desires, the same will, the same efforts that you hear from so many other people in terms of more, more, right? Like Conor McGregor told us all, one of the most truthful things the Irishman has ever said, you want to know what's better than a lot of money? More money. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's ready for that. Everybody wants everybody. You get it. But when Kamara's doing those things privately, not in the media, not disparaging anybody or anything, not boring you guys to sleep, 
When he's doing those things, if his phone rings and they need something, he says yes. Kamara holds up nobody. Kamara does not threaten to take his ball and go home ever. He sticks up for himself. He, he says his piece he, and he says yes. It's a very different approach, but it's an approach by the guy who was handed the reins to headline the top martial arts organization in the world's card at Madison Square Garden. There's a reason he gets those opportunities. And I'm just sharing with you, do your career how you want to do it, but generally, why reinvent the wheel? You guys ever watch Anthony Robbins? You guys would at least know the name. Tony Robbins, the big guy, huge white teeth, a uh, real positive guy. But you know that guy? He makes people feel better, gives them advice. You go study Robbins for 24 hours. Or 24 days, or 24 minutes, all you needed was 24 seconds. The biggest part of his speech and his appeal and the message that he tries to get to people, find somebody who's doing or has done what you want to do and go copy them. And that's fantastic advice. You do not have to start from square one. You do not have to be an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs. You can just find somebody else who's done something that you aspire to do, study that person and copy them. That's why I bring to you Kamar Usman. But it's not just the punches, it's not the kicks, it's not the resetting, it's not just the competitive stuff. That's what you see, it's the things that you don't see that make him who he is. He's a very good person. But he's also fair when he's doing business with somebody. He is going to stand up for himself and he's not going to slow you down. He does them both at the same time. They're simultaneous. That is what's unique. Everybody's put their foot down and everybody said yes. He does them at the same time. He has an agenda while understanding he has an agreement. And there's rewards for that. And he won't be thanked. He won't ever be patted on the back. He won't ever be studied because he does it quietly. I'm the one telling you. I watch this from a distance. I know what he does and where he wants to be. And I also know that every time they have a welterweight title fight, they want a book, they call him, he signs the contract. He deserves credit for that. 50% of me wants to make sure Usman gets the credit that he deserves. The other 50% wants you guys to observe it so you can copy him. To close out today's episode, I want to talk about the middleweight division and tomorrow's big fight between Jack and Sean. But before we get there, let's discuss some comments I just heard and I totally disagree with. Oh, the big bear, our friend Daniel Cormier, came out and he was doing an interview and he was talking. He said that other people come up to him all the time and ask him about Adesanya and then they, in their question about Adesanya, say to him, is he the greatest of all time? Daniel pushed back and said, hey, time out. Recency bias aside, Anderson Silva existed. Anderson Silva did these. Anderson Silva is the greatest of all time. He then went on to talk about, we always do that. We always pass up somebody with somebody new. And the only sports figure in history that that hasn't happened to is Muhammad Ali. What in the bleep is Daniel Cormier talking about? There is nothing on that that is accurate. There is no way that Daniel believes it. Except Daniel fought Anderson Silva and would like to pad his own resume. So he wants to be the greatest of all time is all I can think. Or he just didn't have time to think about the question. There is zero truth to it. Look, 
If we are at least down to Adesanya and Anderson, we've done a good and fair job as a community. Because those are the two, if we've at least got it down to them. I will tell you this. They fought. And it was a good fight. Adesanya won two rounds to one. Everybody saw it the same as the judges. Adesanya won one and three. Anderson won number two. It was a valiant effort by Anderson. It was closer than any of us thought that it was going to be. It was a great fight. But that still answers the question. If you're being fair. If you want to be unfair and your side doesn't win, you come in and go, well, he wasn't in his prime, and a prime hit. Just shut up with all that. Just stop. Stop. So we have the answer to that question. I want to talk about more of the philosophy Daniel's talking about. I have a big problem with the fact that he say Muhammad Ali was the best. We say Muhammad Ali was the best because of what he did for the sport, not to mention social issues that supersede sport. But Muhammad Ali came out and told us he was the greatest. Now, that's called marketing, not reality. Why is Muhammad Ali known as the greatest? Because he called himself like it was a nickname. And, don't miss this part, he was the first. That's why that has stuck around. Now, he was beloved. But you could not use any level of logic, let alone functional reality, to support the claim that Muhammad Ali is the best boxer of all time. You can't do it. It would be impossible. It would be impossible because you've only got two hands. You've only got four shots, a jab, a cross, an uppercut, and a hook. There's nothing else that's legal within the sport. That's the same rules and the same stuff that's legal back in the 1968 as is today in 2022. And the sport has not evolved. None. Zero. Can't. It can't evolve. You only have two weapons that between them can do four things. MMA is not that way. MMA is greatly evolving. You got some guys, and these guys are called fools, that like to say MMA is within its infancy. That is not true. As a matter of fact, we have good, strong data to prove that is not true at all. We could go back to 1993. We could talk about the evolution. We could talk about the huge steps and the huge gains. We could talk about the difference in training. And guys aren't just coming from a striking background and a grappling background and around 18, 19 years old, getting together, figuring the whole thing out. They're not started as kids in gyms that only do MMA. We could do all of that with preparation, but not with the skills of the sport. And that's what this question has to do with. Who is the greatest of all time? And it's nothing to do, or at least not solely to do, with resumes. If Anderson beat 15 guys, Adesanya does not have to beat 15 guys to take over the spot of greatest of all time. In fact, we don't actually have to wonder it. This is not Khabib versus George St. Pierre. They fought, right? If Khabib and George come out and fight so we can finally figure out who the greatest of all time is and not have this discussion, is the losing side's army instantly going to come in and say, well, but it wasn't. In I mean, are you going to start doing that? Do we, do we have no level of integrity within our own sport? This is not debatable. Anderson Silva, John Jones was another one. This is not a debatable. Izzy and Anderson fought. Now you found the right two guys and you saw very good competition and you see that we're splitting hairs here. You got to see just how good Anderson was because Anderson did it back in yesterday when the sport sucked in comparison to now. But he also just did that fight four years ago and that he kept up. It's a massive sign. It's a massive sign to success. It's a feather in Anderson's cap. Not to mention Anderson was a three, three and a half to one underdog. He had an awesome performance. But bringing Muhammad Ali into it and acting like Muhammad Ali is the great, but that's a weird one for me. Muhammad Ali gets to know me as the greatest of all time because he used that as a moniker. Nobody ever came out first and said, Muhammad Ali, man, that's the greatest boxer of all time. That didn't happen. Muhammad Ali said it to the audience. 
The audience picked up on it. It's like Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Like, doesn't mean he's actually the world's most dangerous man. That's his name. In fairness. And then everybody liked him on top of that, and everybody wanted to show respect to him after that. And after all, he was an artist. Even if it was a form of martial arts, it was still a form of expression, which Muhammad Ali did better than anybody, and we pay that respect back to him. And that is why Muhammad Ali would win the vote for the greatest of all time. If you got a bunch of boxing trainers together and try to sh see who they're, they're emulating, they're 9 and 10 and 11-year-old kids that are going to go on to be the future of boxing in the next decade, they are not watching film on Muhammad Ali. There'd be nothing to watch. He's got two hands. The sport has not evolved at all. And making that claim while being polite, for sure that's a polite thing to say to a guy that ran a really great life. But the bigger story of Muhammad Ali, if you were around, if you happened to live at the time of it, was boxing as a whole was just about to be done. Nobody watched boxing. It was so dirty and corrupt that the government had to step in and regulate it. Government does not regulate sport anywhere in the world aside from communist societies. Except in America. Boxing is so dirty, the government had to step in. Muhammad Ali didn't take the dirtiness out of it, but he brought attention back to it. He did it with his mouth. He did it with his skills. He did it by building fights. He understood things. He turned to the world of professional wrestling in terms of getting promotion, in terms of getting attention. He put a plan together. He invoked it. He's the single most important figure in the history of boxing. That is true. He's amongst the single most important figures in the history of sport. That is true. Greatest boxer of all time. That's, that's to be nice. We're being polite. My daughter's middle name is Layla, named after Layla Ali. I train him and very good friends with and have helped promote Kevin Casey, whose father-in-law is Muhammad Ali. Right? I, know, I don't know Muhammad Ali, but boy, I know that family and boy, I do like him. I would never despair. He, greatest of all time. Shut up with that. The guy that says that is just about to say the greatest martial artist ever was Bruce Lee. Right? It's one of those things. Come on. We can't agree that martial arts is in its infancy, according to some. We know for sure with empirical data known as video evidence that from 1993 till present time, the sport has grown leaps and bounds. Bruce passed away 20 years before the clock that we just set. From 1993 is the focus to 2022. Bruce died two decades before the very opening, and he's the greatest martial artist of all time. Do you understand how you're living in a special kind of stupid to talk like that? Official prediction. Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. Guys, I'm taking Strickland, but... There's a real but. You just don't know how good Jack is. I mean, in all fairness, you really don't. And some of you go, oh, Chael, I do. I, he's great. and I've no, You don't. You, you really don't. Jack is better. If you saw Jack versus Jacare, okay, now I'll listen to you. But if you forgot that fight or you missed that fight, I'd have to resubmit Jack versus Kelvin Gatslam. But if you miss that fight, or you don't really know what you're getting into here, Sean Strickland is coming as advertised. Sean has been great from the day I met him. When he was 21 years old, the first day I met him in the training room, he was 17-0. and 0. He told me that, and I thought he was lying. I thought he was lying. I didn't think at 21 years old. You can't get your first fight until you're 18. you got to be an adult to get a license. That means 17 fights in three years. I'd never heard of anybody 
that had that many matches, and I just thought I met a BS artist. I, I remember that crossed my mind. I worked out with him. He was awesome. And I remember telling our coach at the time, I went right up to Coach Parsons, and I said, that guy says he's 17-0. I don't believe it, but he's good enough to be 17-0. I then went home. I looked him up. Sure enough, he did 17 fights. He was like the sitting reigning king of the cage champion. He was fighting every chance that he got an opportunity to. He's an excellent fighter. He's just now getting his due, but I feel that you know that. I feel that you really know that. I have one piece of inside information to bring you. Sean Strickland came out, wanted to do a submission underground. Now, he was taking on Andy Varela, who's one of the best no-gi grapplers in the world today. On paper, this is going to be a massacre. Sean knew that, didn't care. Did not care. Wanted the workout, wanted the experience, wanted the focus on the ground because he knew he was about to sign a contract to fight Jack. So Sean has prepared for what he needs to prepare for. Jack is a pain in the ass on the ground. The other side of it is Sean did prepare. And he prepared the hard way, trial by fire. Went and jumped in there in pure competition of grappling. So, if Sean knows that Jack is good enough on the ground that Sean needs to focus on that for a period of time, that's all you need to know, that Jack is a live dog. Very much so. And one thing that Jack will never do is come out and give himself credit. If you want to be a Jack Hermanson fan, and I am, you got to do it on your own because he's not going to do it for himself. I'll tell you another match. While Sean was over in the Submission Underground with Andy Varela, Jack was over on a wrestling mat against Hazmat Chemayev. It doesn't matter who won these matches. They both came in second. If, if you want the spoiler, it doesn't matter. Jack went into a wrestling match because he knew he had Sean and he wanted to work on his takedowns. Sean went into a grappling match because he knows he's taking on Jack. He wanted to work on his ground game. These guys respect each other. Athletes always know who's going to win before they go out there. They'll never tell you. They'll always lie. They're trying to convince the world, keep their fingers crossed. Luck does happen sometimes, 90 plus percent of the time. Both athletes know as they're walking to the ring how this night's going to go. Both of these athletes also know how this is going to go. From Jack's standpoint, I need to take this guy down. From Strickland's standpoint, if I get down, I need to protect myself and get back up to my feet. This is very classic striker versus grappler. It really is. There was just a thing that came out. BJPenn.com was talking about Sean Strickland. And it broke down his defensive pedigree. No one hit it, hits him. And they did a whole breakdown of how many minutes he's been in there, how many rounds, how many fights Sean's been in there, put it uh, and juxtapose that against the rest of the middleweight division. Sean is the number one defense, means he's hit the least. And I can attest to that too. Again, go back to our training. He was hard to find. He was hard to find. And I was used to elusive guys at that time. I fought John Jones, who was hard to find. I fought Anderson Silva. These guys are just hard to find. They move really well. Sean did that same thing. So he's just hard to find. So now that the stat came out, Became official, opens your eyes, lets you know, though, it is a little bit classic in terms of striker versus grappler as far as what their strengths are. But them both knowing what they're getting into, both preparing for it, both the hard way, which is going out and taking some lumps as a way to get better, this is the one they want. This is the one that matters. I'm going to take Sean Strickland in this fight. I think there's something to be said for momentum. Momentum is on Sean's side. There's something to be said for being hungry. Sean is living and eating and driving the same as he did before he was a main eventer on ESPN. I think there's something to be said for momentum for a guy. That's all I got, momentum? That's it? That's my analysis? That's not a lot. you got a close fight on your hands here. 
you got a very close, gritty and dirty fight that you're about to see. Because if you hear what I just said and you agree with me, but don't forget, none of us are make-believing that Jack can't take care of himself on his feet or that Sean can't take care of himself in the grappling department. you got a long, drawn-out war. And this is those fights where you have to start to look to the intangibles. Who can go harder, longer? That's a problem, too. Sean is starting to be known for his condition. He doesn't care if it's three rounds or five rounds. It's all the same to him. That's very rare for an athlete. The athlete will greatly care. What is the duration? They will grit. LeBron James, if you go spring on him, he's got five quarters. You go, what the hell are you talking about? Or if you tell him he's got three quarters, whoa, you just rattled me. Sean doesn't care because his conditioning is so good, but Jack is not for time, too. This is an interesting fight, guys. This is going to be close. This is going to be a battle. They're both going to win, and they're both going to lose exchanges. They're both going to lose and win sequences. They're going to trade rounds back and forth. I do predict a long night. I happen to like a long night. We're going to see some good fight, and ultimately, I'm putting the curse on Sean Strickland. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Remember, if you want more of me, please give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram. Go to my YouTube page and sign up. Enjoy your weekends. I will be back next Wednesday to break it all down. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.